There was a wonderful Taoist philosopher called Lao Tzu, 6th century BCE, I think. He was a very practical, down-to-earth kind of a guy. Just the sort of energy we need to start this session on designing options. Lao Tzu said lots of profound things on the art of leadership, and if he didn't quite say this one, he certainly could have. If you do not change direction, you may end up where you are heading. Obvious? Well, well, perhaps not. Human nature being what it is, we do lots of persisting with what we've already done, and we don't really consider where that's heading. Have you got an issue that's not moving in the right direction or stalled altogether in unresolved conflict? Today's episode is my encouragement to you to check out the options. What's feasible, what's enough, and what's fair? We've arrived at skill number nine from the book Everyone Can Win about handling conflict constructively. So it's time for us to design and evaluate what you might do moving forward. You may have already taken a first step away from being stuck. Perhaps you've done a map of everyone's needs and fears as we discussed in the last episode. So your next step to wise action is to build solutions that offer wins to everyone involved. So, wherever it's possible, work it out together. Design the options. Well, what are the options? Imagine, dream up, innovate, get out of the rut, be creative and inclusive. Good conflict resolvers are great at designing incredibly creative options. So, break your old habits, shift your viewing points, and figure out some new ways. The creative process is rather like diving into a treasure trove of possibility. What you bring to the surface depends on what you're looking for. When you're looking for solutions where everyone can win, where everyone's needs are being met, that's what you're more likely to find. Moreover, cooperating in the process reduces power struggles and helps the relationship in the process. Power politicking will escalate in climates where people don't fundamentally trust that their needs will be properly considered. When we search for solutions that acknowledge other people's needs as well as our own, we're saying, I care about you, I respect you, and you have the right to need what you need. And so do I. There are three distinct stages. Creating options, choosing the most suitable ones, and acting on your chosen set. Stage one is creating lots of options. Define the problem in terms of needs and concerns or fears, as we've discussed in the previous episode on mapping. And once you're clear what everyone's needs are, open up to the possibilities. You're trying to design solutions that incorporate wins for everyone and turn opponents into partners searching for a solution together. When we get the process right, the substance usually follows, and the process should demonstrate in practical ways that our hearts and our intentions are in the right place. This is the time to be creative. It needs a different headspace to the analytical and reflective mode that you needed for mapping. 
do something to stimulate the creative juices. If you've been working on a problem for some time, it might be good to take a short break. Get up, move around, break the tension, play some music, have a laugh. Perhaps take a moment to play, toss a ball around if you can. And if you've been stuck in one mindset, consider turning around the seating of the room by 90 degrees or 180 degrees. We're trying to engage the other side of our brain. In general, left hemisphere thinking is where our logical, analytical and sequential processing of information takes place. However, it's the right hemisphere, that part of our brain, will give us substantially new and creative solutions. It focuses on holistic thinking. It's less dependent on speech and more focused on pattern recognition. We want to move out of the old ways of seeing the problem and change perspective. We have to be willing to dislodge old assumptions and manipulate new data in new ways. We want to transform the situation, perhaps bring into being something that didn't exist before. And we want to really use the power of synergy to accomplish together what we couldn't do alone. It's the sign of our emotional intelligence if we can act in synergistic ways. That means we accomplish more together than we can with each person acting independently. Gives you a new equation. One plus one equals three. Collect suggestions without judgment at this stage. This phase is about exploration and discovery. Allow in possibilities and let them remain as possibilities. Even mutually exclusive possibilities can be allowed to enter and sit alongside each other. At this early stage, don't judge the ideas that are coming up. Just keep encouraging the flow. Try brainstorming. You brainstorm to create a smorgasbord of ideas. Your aim is to come up with as many ideas as you can before stopping. You might appoint one person to record all the suggestions. If a group's involved, write up the suggestions with thick coloured pens on a large sheet of butcher's paper so everyone can see the ideas going up. Or use coloured post-its for ideas and collect them in different groupings. Find different ways of seeing it. And welcome all ideas, no matter how crazy. Allow a little humour and nonsense if it's at all appropriate. It can release tension and generate some lateral thinking. Be bold. What seems impossible might actually be the seed of a good idea. This is the time to explore, look for possibilities, not to judge, assess, reject or choose. Taking all the ideas without prejudice, commitment or evaluation. Write them all down. Don't stifle new possibilities and don't imply that people should stand up for any option that they've come up with. All ideas belong to the group. During a very difficult negotiation, you might choose to hold a brainstorm at a specified time and define it as a process without prejudice or commitment to any solution developed during the session. The more options and potential solutions there are on the table, the more likely it is that people can find something that does work. Remember that people do feel more committed to solutions that they've had a hand in developing. Are you dealing with a thorny issue that probably needs a wider range of options, 
if it's really going to get somewhere? Can you involve the other person or people in the process? Use questions, because questions open up our mind to new possibilities. They're especially helpful when we can only see one solution to the exclusion of other options. Don't let a solution set quickly. Use questions to prod creativity. Here are some questions you might find useful. What are all the possible options for creating the outcome we want? How else could this situation be addressed? From another point of view? Or what would happen if? Or what can we do that would help? What would this look like from the future, looking back on it? How might a child describe this problem? Or what else might work? Or how else could we do that? Or if you had a magic wand, what would you do? Or just what else? Remember, if you can't make a decision, it's usually because you don't have enough information or you can't understand it. So what would help that? Is more information needed? And from where would you get it? And who would have it? Do you need information presented more simply, for instance, with illustrations or summaries? Do you need something to be clearer? Be practical. Conflict resolution is not just people skills. It's essential to design practical solutions. We don't keep on yelling at a toddler not to touch the vase. We move the vase. And we can often structure situations so that the problem doesn't arise. Exasperating things happen because they can. If people keep using a shortcut through your office space and it's annoying, lock the door or build a corridor or an extra door. Many issues can be solved by practical design. Would one of these apply in your own issue? Consider information and its flow. Do you need to design a solution that includes strategies for information flow on a regular basis? How about earlier reporting or regular times to talk? Or notes on the fridge or quick texts when there's a change of plans? In our family, we're hooked into a location-sharing app. Generally speaking, most situations in our life are going to be helped by a commitment to passing on more information. Perhaps structures or procedures need to be updated too. Think about new lines of authority and responsibility, updated report-back systems, changed instructions. Perhaps you need to introduce a formalised set of procedures or more planning. Objects and services could hold the key. Are there physical objects or available services that could be part of this solution? For example, purchasing or hiring office equipment or furniture, or employing someone new. Consider hiring services, for instance, physical help, medical help, business, personnel, maybe some legal advice. Mediation could help. How about relocating or reallocating space, equipment, furniture, even tasks? Get all those options that seem relevant written up. Sit back and have a look and ask yourself, are some similar? Do they group? What if? There's a very practical term often used in textbooks on negotiations. It's the word currencies. And it's not just about money. It's about anything that we can trade with each other. Could be worth a discussion. 
what's cheap for me and valuable for them. Everyone is a potential ally. Find out what they need or want or desire and what you could offer. Look for something that you could offer that's relatively easy and low cost for you and helpful or very valuable to them. Look for something that they could offer you that's easy and low cost for them and helpful and very valuable for you. These are the currencies in which you both can trade. Currencies could include services, timing, recognition, information, inclusion and security. And good solution building works on a very broad front. And the aim is to develop a package that encompasses a wide range of factors. Remember, you're generating wins for everyone. So work out how to balance the benefits for all parties. What would it take to meet more needs of more people? The aim is to survey everybody's needs and sweeten the pie for yourself and the other person, starting with low-cost components. You'll often be able to trade concessions. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. It's worthwhile thinking outside the square. People need things that you can offer that might not be directly related to the negotiation in hand. Sometimes offering a reference might really help. Sometimes they need better ways to keep in the communication loop. Sometimes there's a side deal you can make. Could you offer to cook a meal? Look for outside-of-the-square currencies to trade in. For example, in negotiating a salary package. You'll consider the money, of course. But there are lots of other things too, currencies, that could be valuable to the other person. More flexible working hours, status, job title and equipment. The latest technology in a computer is often very tempting. Perhaps it's special superannuation benefits or help with a housing loan or bonuses, holidays, career path opportunities. It might be further education. But also consider... What if we can't agree? What's your best alternative? When designing options in a difficult situation, it's thoroughly worthwhile to design a good alternative for yourself just in case you can't reach an agreement. Professional negotiators, including Roger Fisher of the Harvard Negotiation Project, use the acronym BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, as a shorthand for this key concept. BATNA stands for Best Alternative to a Negotiated Agreement. Look for or build alternatives for yourself. If your best alternative is a good one, you'll have more freedom and power in your negotiation. Being too eager can be a disadvantage when you're bargaining. If the other person can sense how badly you want something and knows you will agree come what may, they don't need to be flexible on terms. You can't sit back and wait for a BATNA to just appear. You may need to create it, and that might mean some research. If having a BATNA would help, first create a list of possible alternatives, polish some of the more promising ideas, and then convert at least one of them into a real possibility. If the problem with your boss doesn't work out, your best alternative might be to look for another job. Is it worth calling a recruitment agency just to find out what's on their books? If your negotiation with your preferred car dealership doesn't go as well as you'd like, what price could you get that car for from another dealer? Do your research. It makes you strong. 
you may need to use consequence confrontation. What will happen if nothing changes? Remember Lao Tzu's advice at the beginning of this episode? Unless we change direction, we're going to end up where we're heading. Where does it look like you're heading? If you're dealing with someone who refuses to budge or won't listen, it may be important to work out what your options are. But is it just put up with this? Perhaps you do have some other leverage. You may need to point out consequences that they're not going to like if they keep on going as they are. It could be as extreme as dismissal, and it might be just, I get to choose the TV program at night. Careful, though, it's not a threat. Don't make it sound like one. You're just explaining the inevitable consequences if they refuse to change their behaviour. And another warning, a consequence confrontation should be a last resort. Ask yourself first, consequence confrontation, hmm, would it help or hinder? And there's another very useful concept when designing options, chunking. Chunking means breaking down the problem into manageable chunks or parts. Sometimes you can't solve the whole problem, but you can solve bits of it. When the task is huge, break the problem down into smaller, more manageable pieces. If the whole thing seems too overwhelming or unchangeable, work on part of the problem and just deal with some of the issues that you do have a little influence over. Chunking nibbles around the edges doesn't fix it, but it helps and it can buy some time or space for things to move on and ease out. It takes you away from a painful stalemate and into doing something proactive. Here's James's story. My friend James has two children by his first marriage. He doesn't have custody, but he still keeps regular and devoted contact with his children. His ex-wife is Elizabeth. Her new husband had been offered an excellent promotion in another city and it seemed like the family would move there. James was very upset about losing his close contact with his children. He needed a cooler, clearer head on the issue. So first he asked himself, what are my needs, my values and my priorities here? And what are my own limits? He also sketched these out for Elizabeth herself her new husband, and the kids. And when he looked at it all, the problem was just too big and he was powerless to prevent them leaving town. But at least he'd got clear on his own priorities. He wanted to be part of the children's growing up, he wanted to offer his guidance, and he wanted to know when it was needed. And he wanted to have fun with them. And for them to know that he was their dad and was continuing to take care of them. This gave him a handle on how he could break down the whole issue into smaller parts. And some of those priorities he could attend to, even if they did move. He could manage parts of the problem. Here was his action list. He'd discuss these things with Elizabeth. Plans for school holiday visits of a decent length. Clarify agreements on child support and the costs of airfares. He wanted the children to know that he continues to provide for them. He pays for their school fees and uniforms and shoes. He also decided that he'd take time off work when the children visit. He'd telephone often 
Perhaps he'd start using FaceTime with them. And he'd mainly phone before Elizabeth's new husband comes home. He wanted an easy flow of conversation with them. And he didn't want the issue of the children's split loyalties interfering in his own relationship with them. No, he hadn't solved the whole problem. He was powerless to prevent the move but he chunked it down into manageable pieces. He prepared himself to negotiate on what was most important to him in this, and he felt clearer and calmer, and he was ready to talk. So stage one of designing options was creating lots of possibilities. And stage two is choosing which of these is the most suitable. Of course, that whole creative stage could be bypassed if the needs are clearly understood and one solution's just jumping out as the perfect answer. However, if you've begun a brainstorming approach, try not to move to choosing the option until the time's up or at least there's a good number of suggestions on the table. Have you clustered those that could be part of a whole approach? At the end of a brainstorming, you might rate each suggestion. One, very useful. Two, lacking some elements. Three, not practicable. And this rating step makes sure that you reconsider all the suggestions. Evaluate each option. Is it feasible? Is it enough? Is it fair? Firstly, is it feasible? How feasible? When can it happen? What resources would it take? What if X or Y happened? Would something go wrong? Or how would you feel if this happens? Would that help with the problem we're having? Secondly, ask yourself, is it enough? Does it solve the problem? Does it satisfy everyone's needs adequately? And relevant questions here might be, is that sufficient? Or what would you do if? Or even, how will you know when that has happened? And thirdly, ask yourself, Is it fair? How do you judge if something's fair? Well, fair often means equal or balanced. If you can, find an objective yardstick, equivalent money or time or benefits or workloads that might be part of this balancing act. Fair might be based on precedence. What's happened before? It might be worth checking out independent evaluations of market price or recent sales. Fair might be influenced by savings. You could calculate how many hours or how much money this suggestion would save. And fair might be judged by your legal rights. What does the law say? After a divorce with similar circumstances, what property settlements are common? If loud music from a nearby nightclub is the problem, how many decibels do the court say constitutes unreasonable disturbance? Fair might be regarded as what's ethical. Though this one's hard to measure and it's very culturally specific, but finding the right independent yardstick can be important for judging fairness because it cuts through unrealistic expectations and helps people feel more satisfied when the agreement's reached, particularly if it's not totally to their liking. And your relevant questions here are Does it sound fair to you? Do you think you can live with that? How would we be able to tell that that's fair? There are other factors also that will affect the options that you choose. 
Consider areas of common ground. If you both want better communication, setting diarised meeting dates will give communicating a higher priority. Consider where your needs dovetail. For example, you need the car at 2pm and they don't need it till 5. Is there some politics involved here? What must be included in the plan for it to be acceptable to the other person? Does the plan need to include something that helps them save face? Is there someone behind the scenes pushing a particular point of view that ought to be acknowledged? Perhaps they're not in the room. Are there other vital issues that you haven't discussed yet that ought to be considered too? Even if two plans are substantially the same, you may well choose the other person's suggestions if they're reasonable because they're likely to be more enthusiastic about their plan than yours. So you've done stage one, you've designed lots of options, and you've done stage two. You've chosen which option or group of them seems to be the best. And now stage three is acting on your chosen options. This is the time to get clear about the tasks. Nail it down. By whom? By when? Review when. Many a great plan fizzles in the execution. Don't let that happen to plans you're involved in making. Formally or informally, plan the follow-through. What are the steps? What are the tasks? Who will do what? By when does each task have to be done? How or when to report back or check in? Discuss together what each of you will do and draft a schedule. If the solution works for you both, and you've both arrived at it in partnership, both sides can be reasonably trusted to carry out their part of the plan. Nonetheless, make sure you each understand what you have to do and plan a specific time to review. Put it in your diaries. Okay, here's the summary. Design solutions that build in wins for everyone. And wherever possible, do it together. Stage one, create options. Define the problem in terms of needs. Develop options together. Brainstorm. Don't debate, don't justify, don't censor. Be very practical in your orientation. Consider information and its flow, structures and procedures, objects and services. Design the currencies. What's easy to give? And what's valuable to receive? You might need to design your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, your BATNA. And if you can't reach an agreement with each other, do the consequences need to be considered by everyone? And lastly, if the problem's too big, chunk it down. Break up the issue into smaller, more manageable bits. And stage two, choose the most suitable options so you're evaluating them. Is it feasible? Is it enough? And is it fair? And stage three is acting on your chosen options. Get clear with each other about the tasks to be undertaken. By whom? By when? Review when. Okay, that's it. That's designing options. You've got a handle on it. You're ready to negotiate. If you'd like more details on all this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. 
You can download a transcript and explore the study notes for this. Might be a great checklist for you if you're dealing with something complex. There's a free manual for trainers there too. And for ongoing reference, you might want to purchase a searchable PDF of the book, Everyone Can Win. It's the inspiration for this series. And if you haven't done so already, now might be a good time to subscribe to these talks on your favourite podcast app. Well, in this episode, we've been trying to stimulate the creative juices for you to develop a wide range of options and possibilities to bring to the negotiation table. Next episode, we sit at that table together. Join us.